Yes. All right. So Ryan said, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. There we go. Um, so welcome. We are in week three of a series called Him and Her. And uh, I have a little cookie thing here that I'm going to attempt to use. Um, this is a series looking at a range of issues, uh, looking at, at human identity, biology, um, sexuality. We're going to cover a ton of stuff in this series. It's going to be a lot of fun. Two weeks ago, Jordan opened up our series with a look at the Mago Day. He was in Genesis chapter 1 in the, in the first of the two different creation accounts. And from Genesis chapter 1, there's this, there's this sort of cosmic view of God making everything. And it's sort of like big picture, and it gets to the end, and, and God makes humankind, male and female, in his image. And it's kind of just all together like this, and and. In the midst of that, as he's creating humanity in his image, he is endowing them with uh, equality and value and worth. So Jordan unpacked that for us uh, and how we struggle now to, to hold on to that value and to that worth and that Jesus is able to restore that in us. And then last week, Dwight uh, kind of continued into Genesis chapter 2, which is a second creation account. Uh, and it's where we'll be today, and it's from a more earthly perspective. It retells creation from an earthly perspective, from a more human perspective, and it begins with the creation of Adam, uh, the him. And so last week, Dwight unpacked for us, what does the Bible have to say about, about being him, about being male, about being a man? And we looked at how God has uh, made men to enjoy creation, but also to work it and to keep it. And again, there's a struggle uh, to be all that God designed us to be as men, but yet Jesus comes in and also restores and can restore for us what it means to be a man. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking and, and, and picking up that narrative thread in Genesis 2 and looking at her, because after the creation of Adam, in the second account, there's like Adam, and then there's like time that goes by, and things are happening, and then eventually later, God has, has basically done, it seems, everything of creation, but then finally he does something new, and he does something different, and he creates woman, he creates her. Uh, so that's where we're going to be this morning. As Dwight said last time, um, Last week and this week, as this part of this series, we're going to be looking at men and women and focusing these two weeks on what you would maybe consider to be um, biologically mainstream matters. So genetically, um, uh, XX and XY, um, we, we won't be getting into any of the... Um, biological exceptions or variances that we find in the world. Um, in the next two weeks, Jordan is going to be back and he's going to talk about uh, homosexuality and then the week following will be uh, gender fluidity. So this will come. Um, we also won't be touching on singleness this morning. That is another subject that's to come in this series. Uh, so where we're going to be is picking up the narrative thread in Genesis 2, which very much is in um, that 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 she is arriving very much in this sort of context of he, that Adam is there and then Eve comes into that picture. So the way that we are addressing herness this morning is going to come out dominantly out of that passage. 
Uh, and also, obviously, um, I am not a her. And, and so we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to work through the passage and we're going to unpack what does the Bible have to say about these things. And then, by way of application, my wife, Severine, uh, Dwight's wife, Jessica, and Jordan's wife, Sandra, are going to come up and form like a panel here, like a talk show kind of thing. And um, it's, they're going to, you're going to get to hear from their voices on these issues and by way of application rather than from me, because I don't know. So um, I'm just doing the Bible part. So that'll happen. So I'm going to try to go through this within a reasonable amount of time. So we have time for that, and then we'll wrap up and, and we'll respond. So does that sound fun? Oh, yes. Okay, so let me pray, and then we're going to get into this. Spirit, we ask that you would be here uh, present this morning um, to help us as we look into your word, uh, to help us understand it, to interpret it. Rightly be with me. Help me not to um, uh, say things that are um, hard to understand or foolish or, or be a poor communicator, but to communicate well. Uh, Lord, that we would um, ultimately come to a deeper joy and a deeper understanding of your design and your creation. Though broken, we, we experience it in a broken form now that we can give you glory for your good intention for us and we can thank Jesus for um, bringing us back into restoration of that. And Jesus, we, we ask that you would get all the glory this morning and that we'd make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, has anybody ever seen this movie? The Adventures of Mark Twain. Raise your hand if you've seen this movie. One person. Not surprising. Two people. Not surprising. Super old movie. A lot of you guys are pretty young. Um, I watched this when I was like a kid. It's 1985. Um, and it's the, one of the weirdest movies you'll, you'll probably ever see. It's claymation. So that's always strange, especially back in the day. Um, a little bit scary as a child when things are made of clay and they're moving and it's weird, but um, The Adventures of Mark Twain is this weird, like, sort of amalgamation of, like, he's on, like, a Zeppelin, and there's these kids. I think he, like, brings Tom Sawyer out of a book, and, and Huckleberry Finn, and the, I forget the other characters, but they're doing stuff with him in his other books, which includes a book called The Diary of Adam and Eve, and, and so then that all happens in this movie, that Adam and Eve are, they're kind of going through the story of, of creation with them. And they put clothes on them, so it's a kid's movie. It's not too weird. And uh, so there's Adam. It's, and he's like, do, he's doing what Dwight said. He's enjoying creation. So among other things, he makes this log. He hollows a log out to make like a canoe. He, he realizes pretty early on, hey, I can't die. So awesome. I'm going to ride this canoe over a waterfall. And he does that for a while over and over again because he's just having a good time. And then, and this is not biblical at all, which is not surprising because Mark Twain hated the Bible. He's like, don't put Bibles in the library. Children might find them and read them. It'd be very dangerous. Anti-Bible. But he brings Eve into the picture. But rather than bringing them together in marriage, Eve just sort of shows up. She's just, and, and, and it's like, Adam's like, he's like binoculars. He's like, what, who is that? What is she doing? While he's screwing around, she's getting busy. She's doing stuff. She's got like engineering plans. She's building stuff. He's like, what is she doing? 
I couldn't find a picture of that because again, this movie sold. But there she is looking at the tree. Don't eat those. Um, so there's this, there's this sort of weird thing happening where he sees her and there, the, the, for everything that this movie gets wrong, which is a lot, it gets this one thing very, very right. That when, that, that Adam and Eve, he and she are very different very different. And that when Eve comes into the picture, God has done something really new, that she is different from he. Now, we live in the midst of a cultural context where uh, sometimes and from some quarters, there is a cry for sameness. uh, Because perhaps to try to uh, recapture a, a lost sense of equality, there's a cry for sameness, um, for, for to, to try to reach for fairness, that equality that is baked into our humanity that Jordan talked about two weeks ago has been lost. And so in response, there's a, a, a pushback against this idea of different. And so as a result, we live in a time, and this is your time, you're, we're all experiencing this, where for many women have been sort of led away from maybe more traditional views of, of womanhood and are left adrift without any sort of clear idea, well, what does it mean to be a she? What, is, what does it mean to be a woman? And now is that category even helpful or relevant anymore to have that? Ambiguity. Contrary to this ambiguity, we have the Bible. Well, culture changes and shifts, and it depends on where you are and who you ask, and different places around the world give different answers. But the Bible, in all its consistency, goes back to the beginning and says, well, this this is the way it was designed to be. And it whispers gently to us, equality, sameness, and yet also wonderfully, magically, significantly different, and different by Design. So as we go through our passage this morning, my desire is to highlight the power and the significance and the, and the glory even of, of that difference. And I'm doing this mindful that m- the majority of this room uh, is female and is, and is she and is, is, is hearing this this morning from the word. And that includes my wife and my own two daughters. And so this morning, my heart is to preach to my daughters. I want them to hear from the Bible how it affirms the uniqueness and the beauty and the specialness of what it means to be her. Because our culture has sucked at this, right? I mean, we are living in a, in a time when, when there's much more awareness and there's much more intentionality, but it's like we're going against the stream. We're fighting the current to affirm women and, 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 and even young girls as they're raised in our culture to affirm them. So culture is catching up in a sense to the Bible. And my hope is to show that the Bible has always declared this with joy. Uh, And so we'll be looking at how women are different, why women are different, how this is a very good thing, and also why being different is sometimes hard, how it has a huge impact on Adam, on on man, and then also the whole world. So that's where we're going to go this morning, and then we'll have, by application, the panel. So let me dig in. We're going to jump right into where we left off. And Ryan read this before. Uh, So we're going to pick up Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15. God's already made Adam. So the Lord took man and put him 
in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, shall not eat for in that day you shall surely die. So here we go. We've got Adam, the first man and the first human, and, and all potential humanity is embodied in this one guy in this moment. And he's receiving from God the commissioning to, to go into the garden, enjoy the garden, uh, to work and keep the garden. So there's some a commissioning to do, and then also a commissioning to not do, that this isn't safe, that there's some guardrails here and that he would trust and follow God. And then that could have been it. God's made everything. He's made people. So now we're done. This, this could have been good enough. But then something super interesting happens. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Why would God say that? In the narrative that we've skipped over for the sake of time, God has already repeatedly created and then said, oh, this is good. And he says it over and over again through the creation accounts. This is good and this is good and this is good, but suddenly not good. So God, through human writer agency, probably Moses, is, is using a literary cue. You guys are in English class at some point in your lives. Maybe you have English class this week. This is the kind of thing that writers do is they're, they're signaling to you to something. Something is going to happen. Something is different about this situation. Something new is going to happen. That this is a, this is a massive departure from the rhythm and cadence of the creation account. And that new thing is God creating Eve, creating woman, adding she into the mix, that this is a different thing. And men and women are generally, and again, we're using the broadest possible categories here. There are always exceptions and variances and bell curves and stuff, but generally men and women are different. Um, I like to think of men as being like a ham sandwich. It's not complicated. There's bread, and then there's ham, and then more bread. There's two different things. You know, that's it. It's not, it's not that complicated. Men are simple creatures, and the Lord declared it's good. That's good that way. Women, however, <laughs> women, however, are more complicated. And I'm, I'm emphasizing this from the perspective of a man. Women, you know, anyone ever done a Rubik's Cube before? Has anyone ever solved a Rubik's Cube before? Good for you. It is tricky. And it's, it's never the same. It's a moving target. Um, when you get married, you learn this. You think, ah, I got that figured out. Next week is different. And you're like, hey, but I thought, and they're like, they're like yeah. And then they explain it. And you're like, that didn't even make any sense. I'm like, the more we talk about this, the further away it gets. It's like a cat trying to get one of those wind-up mice. They're like, you know, it's just moving around all the time. Uh, but, but guys like puzzles, and the Lord did a good thing here. This is, this is, this is like a challenge. I will figure this out someday or die trying. Uh, men and women are different. It is a good thing. But why did God do this? Why not two sandwiches, right? Like that could have been easier. Be like, you've got ham. Yep. You know, um, well, to answer that question, we need to look at why it was not good that Adam was alone. Um, as we sang in the very first song, God is a Trinitarian being. 
right? Three persons, one substance. I know we talk about this a lot, but it is so significant to the God that we worship that, that he is unlike us in this way, that there are multiple persons inside the one being. And so, and Jordan highlighted this for us two weeks ago, if you caught this, that, that because of that, inside of God, for all time, there is community. God is not alone. Within himself, there is a not aloneness baked right into his nature. It's incredible. So remember, Adam's job was to image God, to represent God in creation, kind of the way a flag will represent a country, um, that, 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 that he is his standard bearer. And so it's difficult for Adam being alone to represent a God who is never alone, but who exists in community. Uh, and so this could have been really simple. God could have just dealt with the loneliness problem by cloning Adam, right? People could have theoretically replicated through segmentation, right? Like an earthworm, people in biology, you know what segmentation is, you know, you just cut a finger off and you plant it in the soil. And then a few weeks later, there's another Adam, Adam too. And fingers and toes within a few weeks, months, years, there could be lots of people running around the earth, all men at this point. And of course, they would quickly form themselves into teams and develop sports and competition. And there'd be like year one, there'd be like Super Bowl, like what's happening next weekend. That's what culture, human culture would be the Super Bowl. That would be all that would have been accomplished. Uh, and it would be brutal. There'd be no pads. People would die. It would have been intense. Um, so, but that could have been, that could have been, but the aloneness alone wasn't just the issue. It's not that God is, has community of sameness, though God is equal, Father, Son, and Spirit are all equal. We also see differences within the relationships within God. And so that's something that has to be patterned as well. We don't know all the intricacies of what happens within God, but the Bible seems to indicate that the Father is more of like the prime or the head and the sender. God the Son is more of like the goer and doer, active, and then the Spirit is the empower, enabler, and helper, particularly of the one who goes. So we see this happening and this allows for intimacy, vulnerability. The father says, the son obeys. That's vulnerable when someone has that kind of ability to ask you to do something and you have that to respond. Like that increases intimacy in those relationships, makes it more complicated, makes it more beautiful. This is what's happening inside God. And so as image bearers for the Lord to to expand on humanity, to expand on Adam, to not only make it so he's not alone, but to also increase the variety of what's happening within humanity and to create complexity in their relationship so that there's role differentiation between uh, the male and the female, which is largely expressed in our culture within the context of marriage. And we will get to a whole thing on marriage later in the series, but there is this sort of proto-marriage relationship that's happening between Adam and Eve in this passage that God is interjecting she into this uh, into this. Uh, situation to help better uh, reflect the beauty and complexity of what's happening inside God. Um, the differences, and, and I should also say that this is not the only reason or benefit 
to why God would create these differences, um, that these we'll find as we go further have other reasons and other benefits as well, but initially here to better image God upon the earth in creation. Um, and so before, because of the, the, the importance of this, we're going to dig just a little bit deeper into uh, this before we go farther and we see what happens in our passage. The differences within God um, are divided up three different ways and the, because there are three persons. And so with Adam and Eve, it's more binary. There's only two. So it's not an exact mirror, which is probably a good thing, between what's going on inside God and what is possible between the Adam and Eve in their human relationships. But we do see some parallels that I want to touch on before we go any further. Uh, that we see that Adam, or man, is most closely aligned with God the Son. And that God the, sent, and God the Son is, uh, is, a, is a goer and a doer. He is sent the way that Adam is sent into creation to go and to do and to keep, um, to interact with the physical world. That God the Son is sent into the world as the man Jesus. And that he, he goes into the world and he does something. And then the New Testament talks about Jesus being like the second Adam. So there's sort of a parallel there, and there's a few other parallels that come as well. So we see that kind of relationship with God the Son. A little bit more loosely, we also see a parallel then with Eve, with she, with women, with God the Holy Spirit. And we'll, we'll, we're going to dig into this more because this is our subject for this morning. And we're going to do it also because what happens next in the passage for us culturally can be offensive. It, it has the potential to be offensive if we read it with our Western postmodern brains, which is where we are. Uh, so if we read it in a particular way, it could be offensive, but I want to help us have the biblical literacy to be able to read this in the way that the Bible is speaking to us and so that we can instead have a deep appreciation and joy for it. So let's get into that and then we'll unpack it. So the Lord God said, so he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, maybe you keyed into this before when Ryan was reading helper. This is literally the first description in all of the Bible, the first moment that, that the idea of bringing she into the picture starts with this term, helper. Now, in English, in our Western culture, helper is kind of like a diminutive term, is it not? It doesn't have a great sense to it. My little helper, right? It doesn't sound good. Uh, but for the Bible, helper is the word that is most closely associated with the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses this term in uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. He's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So when we, in, Bi in the Bible, when we read the word helper, when we see this come at us, we should think of all the glory and power and majesty that is encapsulated in the idea of the actions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And I, not everyone in here knows everything about the Holy Spirit. Not everyone in here has seen everything that the Holy Spirit has done in the Bible. And we don't have time to like go through all of this stuff, but I'll just try to bookend it for you so you get an idea of the range and breadth of what it means when it talks about the Holy Spirit. So on the one end, you have Jesus, 
God the Son goes into humanity, gives up all of his divine powers, right? Jesus did miracles, but he was just a guy. He was God, but he gave up all of those powers. He wasn't doing miracles when he was a kid. Be like, hey kids, check out this and like bringing things to life or like blowing on thud. He wasn't doing that stuff. He was, he was powerless until at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him in power. You guys remember this? The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is making uh, water into wine. Jesus is helping uh, the lame to walk, healing the sick, the blind, and even bringing the dead back to life. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit in him. This is significant. This is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus says would come to us, his followers, after he was gone. And as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that he had. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, in the Old Testament, we also see the Holy Spirit doing things like empowering Samson when faced with a thousand Philistines to pick up a donkey's jawbone and kill all of them by the power of the Holy Spirit by himself. That's impressive. Can you imagine them making a movie of this? I hope they do. It'll make like the movie 300 look like a children's show. Just blood jawbone thing happening. It'd take like 10, 15 minutes scene. So the boys are getting yes. Can't wait till I see that. It will be rated R for sure if it's done accurately. Uh, this is intense. And some of you are like, yeah, well, Old Testament God was angry. New Testament God was only pe bringing people back from the dead. Wrong. New Testament, Holy Spirit, early church. Ananias and Sapphira lie about how much money they were giving. Holy Spirit kills them. Boom. New Testament. Don't let the internet lie to you about this. The whole Bible is all the same. God is very loving and patient in the Old Testament. Read it. In the New Testament, Jesus is terrifying. Uh, it's the same spirit. Um, so the spirit, essentially what we see in the Bible is the spirit is wild, uncontrollable, unpredictable, not safe. The spirit is not safe, but the spirit is good. Okay, and the Spirit is excited about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. This is so when you hear the term helper in this passage, referring to the rise, the the the, the beginning of the idea of bringing women into the world. This is the kind of terrifying, glorifying helper thing that we're thinking of. Okay, some of you men are rethinking your Valentine's Day gift. You're like, I wonder if Pandora makes a donkey's jawbone deed for my wife's overpriced bracelet. Just go keychain. It's fine. She'll understand budgeting, you know, get some rhinestones on there. You know, that would put things in perspective in your marriage. Um, helper, that, that uh, women have the opportunity to be a help to their husband in the way that the same way that the Holy Spirit was the help to Jesus and help to Christians everywhere today. So like the Holy Spirit, women empower they guide, they protect, they convict, they give insight, they lead into wisdom. Husbands, your wives have wisdom for you. You should listen to them. Remember Rubik's Cube sandwich, okay? Listen to the cube. Um, this is a good thing. This is a good thing because men need help. Uh, at some point, I don't remember, a few years ago, I was, my wife left to do something for several days. Took the children, I don't know where they were. I was alone. And within 20 hours, I found myself at IGA because I had somehow managed to eat all of the food that I was able to turn into food. And I was at the store and I found myself looking at 
not one, but two frozen burritos, like microwave burritos, and I think some kind of beer or something. And I just remember thinking to myself, this happened really fast, that I've, <laughs> that I've reached this point. I'm that guy now with the microwave food. It happened so quickly. It's not good that I was alone, um, just like Adam. Um, men can be okay on their own, but they are better. They are better. We, we even say in our culture, behind every great man, there is a great... Why do we say that? It's true. It's true. Men can be more. Uh, conversely, sadly, I think that the, the horrifying rise in male depression and suicide in our culture is in part traceable to the removal of that help and that protection that women can bring to men. We're experiencing this like silent epidemic right now as men are um, killing themselves quite literally. That many men, again, are like Adam and are alone. Um, when you beat the statistics and outlive your wife, like for most men don't outlive their wives, but a few of them do, what happens? They die. They don't, they don't live very long past their wives. Um, and people are kind of like, well, that's just, you know, it's not good that they're alone. They just don't make it. You know, they get used to the cube helping them and then the sandwich is by itself and it just rots. You know, it doesn't do well. Um, so I'm sure some of you are thinking at this point, now wait, uh, are you trying to say that a woman's only significance and relevance is inside the relationship with a man, husband? No, not saying that. Okay, that's where the passage is starting. So that's where we're starting, but it unpacks and affects the whole world. Uh, so please don't hear me saying that. Um, women basically control, for all of humanity, life and death. Everybody is born from a woman. Everyone has a mom, which we don't think about a lot, but it's pretty incredible that, that this happens. Has anyone ever been in the room, like not on TV, you've seen a woman push another person out of their body? You've been in the room. A lot of the women are like, yeah, I was there. I was there for the whole thing, front row seat. Doesn't you're not even, like, that doesn't count. I mean, other people, observers, you know, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. And then what happens in, biologically, there's all of this, this hormonal, neurological stuff that happens that allows them to be gentle and to care and to love that little baby. And as the, as the father, you are at first like, you don't feel anything and you feel bad. Guys, don't feel bad. This will happen to you, or maybe it already has. It takes weeks sometimes to actually like, connect and bond with your child. Usually once there's eye contact, you're like, okay, I can figure this out. But for women, it's God designed, it's natural. There's this softness and a nurturing that is injected into the world by the presence of women. Can you imagine if men were dealing with this all on their own? Like that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he gets pregnant. I keep referencing 80s movies, I apologize. You guys are like not born then, but like it's, 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 you know, if men were in charge, assuming that most of the babies survived, which they probably wouldn't have, the moment they were crawling, men would be sewing jerseys and putting them into teams, like racing them. Or they'd be like overwhelmed. Be like, we got to invent our way out of this. They'd make like a baby raising box, put it in, close the door, turn it for two years, and then ding, it rolls out, weaned potty trained, ready for preschool soccer, like, let's go, kid. You know, that's what would have happened. But, and it would have been an austere, terrible place. But instead, we have, we all have benefited, for the most part, most of us have benefited from some nurture, from some 
feminine presence in our lives, and that has been invaluable into launching us safely into the world. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, men would be bad at that, but men are also bad at keeping people alive. Men statistically cause most of the crime, violence, and war, and death on the planet. They just, they just do. Um, and women act as a massive handbrake to that. It would be much, much worse if it wasn't for the presence of women. When women are at the table, cooler heads prevail. They're just like, let's calm this down. Okay, that's very good that we have women involved in geopolitics and in leadership at these political levels. We're for that. We need them at the table because in the past, it's not so good. So, so this is now not to say that men are evil and women are perfect. Um, obviously, throughout history, there have been examples of women doing very cruel and evil things. There were women Nazis. Like, we're not, we're not, I don't want to demonize one sex over the other. The reality is the issues in our world aren't because of a particular sex, but they're because of sin. And only Jesus can fix this, not by sidelining one of the other of the sexes or just, you know, if we could just put them in a box, everything would get better. Um, that we ultimately, we need Jesus to rescue us from this. But hum women's entry into the world radically alters not only Adam's life, but the trajectory of all human history, that the Lord did something very special and new in that. So, and this is good for the world, and it's also good for the church. Uh, we need the gifts and, and leadership of help of the women in the church as well, and we want to celebrate um, what they're doing. Uh, I think we're ready for Eve to actually arrive, right? I bet Adam is, right? He, God's maybe hinted to Adam, you know, you're alone. Let's fix that. And Adam's like, yeah, that sounds great, because I'm this, this would be good. But God doesn't do it right away. Um, instead, he does this. He's like, let's index everything that we've already made. How's that sound? So verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. I'm sure this was awesome at first and then got super boring. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, there are different debates on how long this took. Depends on, was he naming like everything? Have you guys watched Planet Earth? We're watching like the planet, Blue Planet 2 with our kids on Netflix. There is some crazy stuff out there. And obviously, Adam wasn't naming the bottom of the ocean stuff. But if he was naming a lot of stuff, some people have estimated it took like 100, 150 years. That's a long stretch as a single person. Uh, and, but it may have been, it may have been uh, that he only named the stuff that was in his purview in the garden. So that could have taken a lot less time. But regardless, super long and not getting to where he wants to be. This makes me think of Apple Keynotes. Who watches Apple Keynotes? Am I the only nerd who does this? Come on, people. Yes, somebody. All right. Apple keynotes are these things that Steve Jobs started a long time ago where he would like do a product launch and he would keep everything a secret and then he would have a big event and then everyone's there and they're super excited because there's going to be something, Steve Jobs is going to make something new. And, uh, and, and then he just talks about random statistical boring things and other, other things. Let's talk about the Macintosh. Now you have a garbage icon and it's like, everyone's like, get to the point. And then he never does. And then he starts to walk off the stage and everyone's like, no. And then he does this. Come on, dramatic slide. Yes. Then he turns back. He's like, oh, one more thing. And then he's like, iPhone. Everyone's like, ah. And I realized all of you guys, like, this is not, this happened maybe when you're younger or whatever, but like, 
The iPod, he did this, the iPhone, the iPad, but the iPhone so radically altered human society in good and bad ways. It is difficult to quantify. I mean, all of you right now are probably in physically like touching one, you know, of some kind of smartphone, whether it's an iPhone or a, a, a version of a screen with that, that this was a big thing. This is, I think, the way that Adam experienced this, that like God's bringing him stuff and like Adam is just repeatedly disappointed with what he's, you know, he's just bored and bringing him stuff. He's like, no, octopus, no, aardvark, no, bald eagle, no, fire ants. You know, like, ah, these are terrible selections, God. And God's like, well, that's it. I guess we're done. And he turns and then he's like, oh, one more thing. You know, woman. And Adam's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> life altering moment. I think it was like this, except it wasn't exactly like this because Adam was so wiped out, he took a nap first. And uh, that was important because surgery was involved in this. Verse 21 So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man by boring him to death. And then he, while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So when God made things, he spoke. But when he made Adam, he, he, he got personal, he got intimate, and he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed intimately life into him because humankind is different than everything else in creation. I mean, the dolphins are smart, but like we have things. You know, they don't have things. And they're, they're, so we're different on a different order. And there's an intimacy there. But rather than going back to the dust, what does God do? Goes into Adam even more intimately, steals some of his flesh and shapes it and, and brings, brings her as a part of him back to Adam. Extremely intimate. And commentators like to note and talk about at great length where in the body she was taken from. They love this. So just to cover it, one thing of significance is this. It was here in the middle, sort of like on like an equality kind of level, not from his head that she should be trying to like rule over him and not from his foot that he would be treading on her. Although historically, because of sin in the fall, both of those things have been happening forever, okay? But, but equality here. And then also from under his arm, like under his physical protection in very traditional sense. And then she, from a rib, that protects his inner parts, his heart, that we see this sort of complementary protection happening in their relationship where it's not just the same, where they're like high-fiving and fist-bumping, hey, bro, you know, but instead it's like physical protection and then protection of the innermost parts. And ladies, this is not something that is talked about a lot in our culture. Men are very physicalized and their physical stuff and, you know, sex and, and everything. And they're not, you know, no emotions or whatever. But men are deeply, deeply emotional when it comes to you. Deeply emotional. And you being in this place of intimacy have the ability to destroy or to protect and build up his heart. It is a very significant place to be. And so Adam wakes up and God brings her to him, father bringing his daughter to the front, the very first wedding. Oh, that is out of order. That is Dorothy. You guys are like, another movie reference? I like movies. And they're getting older. Okay, we'll just skip ahead. There, you've all seen it. Okay, so there he goes. And, and, and Adam's response, when he sees her, the man says, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. So 
not like fire ants, like looks more like me, some sameness. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So how does he respond when he sees her? This is in the original is like rhyming. So he's either bursting into song, okay, or he's at least composing a poem, a sonnet. Remember before he was probably just like throwing rocks at stuff, right? He was doing sandwich things. And now he's just like, duh, like completely pivots what happens in his life. And I think I've already was showing you this. I have to back up now. Wizard of Oz. Tell me you've seen the Wizard of Oz, people. Okay. It's going to get in trouble here. I'll send you guys a syllabus of movies to watch later. So this movie, black and white when she's in Kansas. What happens when she shows up in Oz? Yeah, brilliant colors. I think this is what it was like. If, if anyone ever makes a movie of this and figures out how to deal with the naked part, like that th this would be like, it would be like watching like an action movie in black and white, like Die Hard. And then all of a sudden it's like the hills are alive with the sound of music in color, right? What is that called? Oh, the sound of music. It's a musical. It switches from being like a gritty action movie to, to a romance drama slash musical. The arrival of she alters the genre of what we would classify as human existence, does it not? It completely pivots things. And keep in mind that, going forward again, keep in mind that Adam and Eve were genetically perfect. Nothing wonky happening with their genetics. You know, teeth are all straight and whatnot. And, like, and so she's arriving... And the Lord has anchored his expectations ultra low with all those weird animals. Now she shows up. She's perfect, like painfully good looking and naked. And this nakedness is a good thing. Like Adam's socks would have been blown off if they had been invented and he was wearing some. It just, he, he was naked too. And this was a good thing. Nakedness we associate with vulnerability and with shame. You know, everybody's had that dream where you're at school and all of a sudden you realize naked. You're like, at worst is when you've managed to put a shirt, socks, and shoes on, but nothing else. And you're like, why am I, why is the seat so cold? Oh man. Why? These dreams happen because we fear nakedness and the vulnerability it provides. But at this point, everything is awesome. Like the Lego song, like everything is good. There's nothing wrong. There's no shame. And yes, there's vulnerability in being naked. But this was a good vulnerability. This was a good nakedness. Um, last chunk here. Oh, did we lose the last chunk? Slides. Okay, I'll read it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a reuniting of what was separated. And then the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. For Adam, this felt like he was made whole again. What was taken from was, was, was returned, but immeasurably better. And for Eve, this was like coming home. Uh, things were designed in a way that was so good, mind-blowingly good. And yet, what do we have now? Mm, things are complicated. Things are not always easy. Why is it so hard that, there's this, that we are different? Well, hard things in life most of them come from the fall and the sin, which Dwight covered last time, and we'll not get into detail, but we saw Eve there with the tree. We know the story. She, she leads uh, Adam, and Adam just follows and does what she says, and, and he doesn't speak up, and they take from the forbidden fruit. Their eyes are open. They choose to be their own gods rather than follow after God. They start charting a new path for humanity, and the Lord steps in, and he's going to rescue, but there are 
um, curses. And those slides, many of that slide maybe got dropped off too, but I'll just read it. There's one particular curse that I'll focus on. You could read this as like a consequence. You know, when you do stuff, and it's like, well, you did that. Now the consequences is this. And I am as grieved about these consequences as you are, but this is what's going to happen. So particularly for her, for Eve, the consequences of this move. Uh, This is in Genesis chapter 3, so the next chapter, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring bring forth children. So this beautiful, mind-blowing, amazing thing is now complicated, um, painful, and sometimes even dangerous. And then secondly, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So this is a curse. This is a consequence. This is a bad thing. This is not a part of the design. And the way that we read this word desire in this biblical context with what happens later with Cain and Abel helps us understand that this is a, a negative desire. This is a desire to reach, like we said before, like to, to, to try to control, to say, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to help, I'm going to lead and I'm going to take control of this thing because you're being an idiot. I can do it better. I'm going to step into that. And then at the same time, there's this desire moving in women that, that, that is a, can be a struggle in some situations. And then men, rather than lovingly protect and lead and care for Eve, they domineer. They rule over. And that has been largely the experience of humanity in history. And we see this dominating male thing happening in our culture all the time. And, and, and as of late, a, a unique spotlight has been shown on it with the whole Me Too movement, has it not? Famous people who are saying one thing and are privately using their power and influence to dominate women, to abuse women. I mean, we're at a, like, a, like a crossroads right now in terms of acknowledging what is happening in secret in our culture. And, and that's a good thing that light is being shown at, but it is stirring all of this up to the point where people, we've gone through this thing of saying, you know what, this is so hard. We need to just get rid of the role distinctions. Men, women, equal and the same. No role distinctions in the home, no role distinctions in the church. Everybody can just be the same. Let's just get rid of the complexity. It's too hard. It's too hard. I know the Bible talks about it, but it's too hard. Let's not do it. Now, in that's been over the last, what, 50 years? Now, in just the last few years, we're saying, do we, need to, do we even need to say things like male and female, men and women? Let's not talk about men and women being the same. Let's just get rid of those categories. We're going to unpack that in the coming weeks. So this is, this is hard. And for those of you who are married, are like, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to do this. Uh, and, and so it can be difficult, though we go to the Bible and we say, okay, Bible, like, what is the original intention here? What's the design? The world is all over the place on this. Give me something solid. At least tell me the way it was supposed to be. And we look at this and we're like, I can't do this. It's too hard. And so that's where we look to Jesus. As the church, we look to Jesus to sanctify us, to make us holy by removing our sin paying for it on the cross and gifting us righteousness and holiness. Why is holiness significant? Because then the Holy Spirit, that terrifying helper, comes and lives inside you as a living fire and changes you and can make you and remake you back into what God intended for his glory. Now, you know Christians, you and me are Christian, you know Christians, Christians are not perfect. This is a process that the Holy Spirit 
is doing. It's not all at one. It's in fits and starts and two steps forwards and one step back. But that's where we look to. We look to the design and then we say, Jesus, please help me get there. Like Ryan was talking about at the beginning. Man, I want to be more, more bold with reaching my neighbors. I don't know how to do that. Lord, do it. That is essentially the Christian faith. I am helpless. Lord, help me. And the Spirit, the Helper, comes. Um, Okay, we have to stop because we want to make sure we have time for the ladies. So I'm going to invite them to come up and, and Josiah is going to help them get mic'd up here. Um, as they make their way up here and get settled, let me just acknowledge that, that as they're coming up, um, they are not a complete, thank you, they are not a complete representation of herness. Okay, they're, they're all married. They all have children. It's from a particular life stage. Um, we thought it would be appropriate and cool for you guys to get to hear from um, the, the three wives of the three main communicators in this series. So myself, Dwight, and Jordan. So our wives are the ones who are coming. You're getting to hear from us, but you're also getting to hear from them. And as uh, this morning's has dealt a lot with him and her and, and sort of a proto-marriage kind of environment. Um, they can speak to this and singleness will come future, but they all have been single at some point in the past. And so there's, there's, um, that is in the mix. Yes, I will get out of the way here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask them a few questions and mostly stay silent and, uh, and allow them to, to share with you. Do you guys have enough microphones? All right. Thank you, ladies, for doing this. Thank you, Josiah. All right. Good use of time. First, first question. How have you experienced equality with your husbands in your marriage? And like, what has that looked like and felt like? Um, I'll start on this one. Um, so I think for me, one of the really significant things in experiencing equality has been knowing that, knowing that I'm heard, um, that my voice matters. So when we're making decisions or when we're talking through some kind of issue, that Jordan's seeking my opinion, he wants my opinion, he values that. Um, and that's important to me because I think, I mean, we talk about different roles, and yet both of us are able to hear from God. And both of us have a relationship with God. Both of us are gifted uniquely by God. Um, and so, so women's voices matter in that way. Um, and they matter for the church and they matter in your marriage. And so that's significant. But there's another thing I think beyond that even that... When the moments when I feel the most valued, the most equal, I guess, is, um, isn't so much when I have great spiritual wisdom and insight to offer. Um, sometimes it's the moments when I'm, like, when I have nothing to offer. Um, and I was thinking of this past week when I had, I just, I had a hard week. And it was, I wasn't really rational. There wasn't a reason behind it, to be honest. I just felt overwhelmed. I wasn't getting the things I wanted to get done. I didn't feel like I was bringing what I wanted to to the table, so to say. Um, and it just meant a lot to be able to sit down with Jordan and have him still care and still listen and still show love in those moments. Um, and I think that's particularly like, powerful because that's the way that God loves us. Um, that we don't, it's not because of the way that we think or the things that we do or the whatever that we are bringing to the table that God loves us first and values us first and that we're given value inherently. Yeah, I think... Um like Brian was saying when he was preaching, that ultimately we need, it's important to remember that for Dwight and I, that in God's eyes we are equal. If we remember that, that just helps, um, you know, the big problems or, or little problems we are going through in life, um, that he sees it equally and that we're both called to obey God. Um, for, 
for us, I don't think it's been um, a huge struggle for us to work through this. Um, I think part of that for me has been um, my parents growing up, uh, they had such a great example of um, um, being equal in their marriage. And um, so for you that are parents now, you are setting an example for your children um, and how they're going to grow up and who they're going to look for to marry and how their marriage will be too. Um, I think for me, um, a big part of it is, um, that we make decisions together that, um, I mean, never would we make important decisions on our own. Um, it's very much a conversation and that, um, my opinion nor his opinion neither one matters more we come to a consensus together and um and you know ultimately how that plays out occasionally if there's you know if there's a rub you know that that depends but i mean just like any relationship there will sometimes be a rub and there will be compromises made and whatnot and i've never felt like like uh, my opinion is lesser in any way um, when it comes to decision making. Yeah. How have you experienced being uh, different than your husband? So as opposed to the quality question, like how, is, how have you experienced uh, being different in your marriage? How have those differences been hard? How have they been really good? Um, I'll start this one. This one was an easy one for me to answer because Dwight and I are very different. Uh, you guys know Dwight um, pretty well as he preaches a lot um, and he shares his personality. So just picture Dwight and then think the opposite and that's me pretty much. Um, a little example would be like uh, Dwight loves starting new things and um, you know he's always up for a change, um, fast changes. And I like a little change very slowly. <laughs> so that's just a little example. Another a big one would be more um, in our marriage um, was when we first got married. I was married uh, when I was 20. Uh, so I was still trying to figure myself out. And, um, you know, as I knew, you know, called to be the helper, I was trying to figure out how my spiritual gifting um, could fit inside Dwight's gifting, like to help him with his gifting. Like how can I help his gifting flourish? Um, but I'm learning that um, my gifting, instead of fitting alongside inside Dwight's, it comes alongside his gifting. Um, so like my, help, my helping is more of that I'm supposed to be who I am um, and that that is better for our family and better for our church, um, better for Montreal, better for the world. Um, I think on the, I mean, even on the helper piece, I think, um, like, well, I'll just say, I, there's certain differences, obviously, between Jordan and I as well. And some of those are just personality differences, and you start to work out, like, what, what of this do I have to compromise in and give in and surrender and say, this is not that important, and what can I be challenged in and changed in as well in that. And that's hard, but it's a good process to go through with someone very different from yourself. Um, but the concept, I think, of be, there being differences between man and woman, um, of different roles and roles in marriage, um, has been one that I've definitely, I've struggled with myself. And I've kind of like been resistant to in different ways over time. Um, and so I know that there's a lot of people who that kind of, that triggers something in them, that, a reaction or a cynicism against that. Um, and I can understand that. I think that one thing that helped me understand those, that, those different roles and the differences between men and women 
um, is, is, I mean, Brian touched on this, but knowing that, like, the triune God himself is three persons, um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they have different roles, but absolutely equal value. And so the Son submits to the Father, and the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. These ideas, but they're diff playing different roles, but they absolutely are all equally God. And so in playing different roles as men and women, we, we get to reflect who God is. And so it becomes, it's not about me. It's not about me making myself look good. It's really about, it's not even about women or it's not about men. It's about making God look good and reflecting his beauty. And I think that's far from being restricting for women. I think that's incredible. That's a greater vision than I could have ever aspired to by myself. Um, this one was easy for me too because we are also grossly different. <laughs> like Myers-Briggs tests were like every letter is, is different but one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think inherently it's going to play on two sides. There's going to be the male-female differences and then there's going to be personality differences. Um, and for us in terms of experiencing being different, um, at least on the good spectrum, um, we, I feel like over time, and we've been married now 16 years, so over time, we've just kind of naturally, like you picture like a circle, and that just is kind of like, like cut or, or like cracked in the middle in different areas where we've taken different roles. And some of those, I, I suppose, you know, are gender influenced, because even our personalities are gender influenced, but a lot of them are more based on personalities and um, maybe the things that we particularly uh, like or are just naturally good at. So for example, I, I've become the calendar uh, of, like person in our family. So I organize like social things and uh, I'm the one who kind of you know plans those things. I'm also the one who remembers birthdays to the point where it's literally like we're two parts of one brain and we, we like offload into the other person. So there's entire areas of our family life that he knows nothing about and vice versa. Like you ask me something, I'm like, talk to him. I mean, I, it's not even my job. I don't even consider it my job to, I'm like, nope, he's dealing with that. So like his parents' birthdays, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like he'll check in with me. When's my mom's birthday? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, did we send anything? <laughs> we, the royal we. But it's good. We don't have the brain space to both be remembering everything. We have to almost, you know, in the good way of the term use, use one another um, as uh, like a storage device, you know, so we can split up. Uh, along along the lines of where we're more naturally gifted. Another another example of that in our marriage, which really is not along the lines of gender stuff, because, um, our, well, I'll say it, it has to do with, ever since we were married right from the get-go, I, typically, I cook and he cleans. And both of those would be considered, in some circles, like a feminine kind of responsibility, though that definitely does not have to be the case. But it was really more just personality. I enjoy cooking, don't really care for cleaning. He likes cleaning, which yay, I know, I'm really lucky. <laughs> and so he cleans after meals. Now that doesn't mean that I never clean and it doesn't mean that he never cooks. It just means that that's how we've divided our responsibilities. So we're different in our genders, but we're also different in our personalities. And, and so that has 
Kaz played positively in terms of how we divide things. If it doesn't divide well, if you're both in one area and neither of you likes another, then that's just an opportunity for growth, just as is, you know, many things in life itself and definitely reflected in marriage. All right, last question. How have you seen, and this is kind of going beyond the male-female relationship at this point, how have you seen an experience being uniquely different as women impact the church and the world? So, um, one way that I see this, and I'm gonna preface this with realizing that this is a, a very broad generalization, um, is that, as Brian touched on, we, um, many women, um, tend to have more of a nurturing side. And there's a sense of creating a comfortable environment that is welcoming and um, provides care for, for people. And so in the church, I mean, that's huge um, when we think of, of people coming and wanting them to feel welcome, wanting them to have services, right? The fact that there's a nursery and, and things for the children. I mean, I think I remember when we first started out, um, Jess and Dwight and Brian and I, the church, like there'd be so many times when th we would be doing meetings and if it was just them planning it, we'd be like, so did anyone think of the kids? No. Did, is there gonna be any food or coffee at least? Like, no. <laughs> I mean, just like, they just didn't think of that. It's not bad, it's just that wasn't their focus there. And so we'd be like, oh, okay, we'll pick up the slack. <laughs> we'll fix that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we, we add in those elements um, into that. And I, I think there's no better representation of this than if you have ever gone into an apartment, like a college guy's apartment, bachelor pad, three, four, five guys, tell me, you know what I'm talking about. It's often super austere. Where we're talking like, you're lucky you have a chair. I mean, if there's means, me maybe, maybe there'd be a little bit more going on. But I mean, it's not priority. And like decorations, <laughs> I'm like, it's not happening. And then you open the fridge and it, mustard, ketchup? <laughs> like the pantry might have top ramen, some mac and cheese, but you're gonna starve. Like it's, <laughs> or you're gonna have severe, like severe nutritional deficiencies. And I'm saying that again, mindful of the fact that there are many men that actually are gourmet cooks and love good food and that would never be their, their situation. But I mean, it's a generalization and a stereotype because it's often true. It's just not a priority. And yet, conversely, you go to uh, you know, a woman's apartment and there's gonna be a couch. That's gonna be a pretty big priority. And it's gonna be probably comfortable. And there'll probably be some nice things hanging on the wall, maybe a candle. And um, you'll probably feel a lot more comfortable and they might offer you tea. Um, and it's just, there's this warmth and nurture that um, m many women tend to, tend to bring. Um, and I, I do want to caveat this with saying that as I've already dis done the disclaimer, if this, if as a woman, this isn't your forte, I don't want you hearing me saying that, that you're less woman because of that, because w we, we are all different. And I think that 
um, all women will have their own way of bringing beauty and um, like nurture into the world, but it may look different. I mean, it could be that you're studying architecture and you're going to make a beautiful building um, or just in your own unique way. And, and if you don't see yourself as traditionally crafty or that you care about how your apartment looks, that doesn't make you less f female. It, it's, it, God has beautifully made us all very um, different and that is even within a single gender. Um, and I think that's ultimately um, we reflect God in that totality. Um, and that's, you know, that's the most important thing is just to image him how well, however he has made you. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I'll add to, I mean, you're saying, talking about like the nurturing aspect of women and how that uniquely impacts the church and the world. Um, and I'll just add to a little bit to your caveat as well. Um, because I think that, like, I mean, one of my friends once put it like this. She said, I feel like we talk about women have this impact in the church, but then women are always expected to serve kind of like with their hands. Like they take care of children, they serve food, they do those types of things, and then men are allowed to serve with their mouths um, and like speak and teach and that type of thing. And I, just to add to the caveat, I don't think that's necessarily what it means when we talk about women having a tendency towards nurturing and caring and reflecting um, and making people feel welcome. I think that that's, that could be a tendency in women's nature that is played out in so many different ways and so many different giftings that it's going to influence the way that you lead. It's going to influence the way that you teach, the way that you speak to people, the way you counsel people. Um, so many gifts, the way you organize. Um, and I know that there are women in this church who are gifted in so many different ways. I think we do have a diverse gifting within the women in this church. And I see women who are so able to teach and so able to lead and women who are just, who love welcoming people and showing hospitality. Um, and yeah, I'd say I'm grateful for that. And that's one of the ways I see women impacting this church. Yeah, just to um, kind of even follow up with what you guys said, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 14, it talks about um, one body, many members. And, you know, it says it's talking about the ears and the eyes and the arms and the feet. They're all needed to make the body, and they're all important and all necessary. Um, so in that verse is doesn't just say uh, men, you know, like it's talking to men and women. Um, so we are all needed to make the body, and this and it's a body of the church. It's um, and the church is not a building, so it goes out into the world. So when you're out in your job, you're at home taking care of kids, or you're at your, you know, at school, like you, you're part of that body. You're needed and um, you're necessary. So, yeah, and I, I, I guess I just want to say uh, last is that. Um, women, you're going to hear lots of voices telling you where your value lies, uh, what you should be called to, what you should be. Um, don't listen to those voices. <laughs> listen to Jesus. Um, he'll tell you where your value is. Um, listen to other women and men of God that will point you to Jesus. Um, and this is, for women, this is good for you to be in change groups. Um, that you can have other women come alongside you and you can both point each other to Jesus. Um, and not, you know, to block out the voice of the enemy and of the world telling you who you should be. All right. Thank you, ladies. You guys thank them for coming up. And just put them on the ground, I guess. At this point. Thanks, Josiah. Uh, so we're going to respond. Uh, we have such a good and kind 
Father who has uh, given us so many gifts. Um, we see every woman in this church as a gift to us, a gift to this church. And so um, we want to just by way of closing, we want to pray for you. So if the women in the church can stand. Uh, we did this with the men last week. If you can stand and um, we just want to pray a blessing over you and thank God for you. Papa God, we, uh, we ask for your blessing on our women. We ask that you would protect them, that you would protect them in a world that is uh, not always safe for them. Our heart grows angry with those who would hurt them. So we ask for your protection. Uh, we ask for your joy and your peace, that they would, um, that they would not have fear. That, that perfect love would cast out all fear, that they could walk boldly in this city without fear and with, with joy and with peace. That you, Spirit, would indwell them so fully that we would see that dangerous fierceness in our women. That the church and the city would feel their presence. That, they, that, that your presence would be felt through them and through their ministry uh, both the work of their hands and the work of their mouths, that you would give them boldness in this, that you would remind them that, that, that they are equal and that they are cherished and that they have uh, great value as your uh, daughters, that even if their own father has not affirmed their worth, that you as their good father would affirm that and heal that broken place inside them. Help us to love them with your love and to cherish them as the good gift that they are to us. For the young ladies who are growing into womanhood, that you would protect them and that you would guide them into this as well. Thank you, Lord, for them. And we thank you for uh, your son, Jesus, who helps us to do all these things well. In Jesus' name, amen.